Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Opposing Points. My guest today is Salvatore Style, the founder and president of Alba Wheels Up International. It's a prominent international shipping and customs clearance company, and it's committed to striving that their clients' shipments will always be in compliance, so their goods will arrive to markets efficiently and reliably every time. Sal, I thought, was a very interesting guest to have on at this point in time. Uh, we talk about the supply chain issues related to Ukraine, Russia, the pandemic, China, how businesses might look at moving their supply chains if they needed to, why they can't, um, what happens in a country where the middle market uh, uh, supply chain logistics companies go underwater and you're left with billion dollar companies, um, the uh, shortages of baby formula, ripple effects from shortages on things like housing and big uh, retailers like Walmart, uh, Target, Costco, where we saw their uh, earnings reports and their stocks tanking, basically, no pun intended. Um, and whether he sees these supply chain issues persisting or worsening. Um, so if you like this video, don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, I hope you enjoy this discussion with Sal. Sal, welcome to Opposing Points. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think it's uh, really important in the context to have you on um, what's going on here in the, in the country. It's a really unique situation. Um, so for those of us, including me, that may not be familiar with how supply chains work, uh, at a high level, um, what might not people not know? So people might not know really how most goods, uh, I guess, get to their shelves or to their door. Uh, the majority of it, let's just say we're going to talk about um, goods from overseas and not touch upon domestically uh, made goods. Um, you have to get the goods here from, let's just say, for uh, discussion purposes, China will use as an example. And how do the goods get from China to the United States? It's really one of two ways. It goes by vessel or it goes by airplane. Um, and what's caused a lot of the issues recently is the clog and the inefficiencies of the system to get these goods uh, to the US timely. Uh, and then once you have basically the goods that arrive in the US, uh, you have port issues, airport issues, uh, kind of figure that you go into Thanksgiving every day to the airline, okay, as a uh, consumer or passenger to visit someone. And that's how it is like right now, logistics, but it's like that most of the time. So it's Thanksgiving most of the time in the cargo industry. Then set aside that, that getting the goods here, you have to make sure that they're entered into the United States, kind of like a passport. Uh, you got to make sure that the goods comply with the rules, regulations of the U.S. government and other agencies, customs, food and drug, uh, and make sure that uh, the consumer is going to get a good that's not dangerous. You hear a lot about lead poisoning, this and that. Well, it's the it's the functionality of the government agencies to try to limit those type of occurrences. And they do that by having customs brokers, which Alba Wheels Up is a customs broker and a freight forwarder, take care of the paperwork on behalf of the importer, make sure that they're compliant, make sure they have the right forms. And then once that's all uh, clear, then the goods could enter the commerce of the United States and be distributed to either a warehouse 
or a logistics center or the end consumer directly. There's all different ways, obviously, goods get to where they have to get to. But first, they have to clear uh, U.S. customs to get into the United States. Okay. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw people go mad over toilet paper. You were not able to get it in the shelves. I, I was at I was in New York City at the time. Um, what is the extent to which uh, it, it is a factor of supply and demand versus, let's say, consumer anxiety and driving shortages? Well, obviously, uh, in the pandemic, it was uh, both. It was that's driving it. But right now, there is a shortage of goods, um, not as bad as it was, but the supply chain is still not fixed. Uh, so therefore, in my opinion, I think now it's more of an issue of um, consumers get a little anxious when they hear things about the supply chain again, and they have flashback to what happened you know, a year ago or so. And that might, especially hearing about the baby formula issues, it might drive them to kind of stock up a little bit on certain goods um, as opposed to other goods. So I think really it's a mixed bag of what's going on right now. Right, and, and uh, I saw you on Cavuto in 2021 um, and you, you acted accurately predicted that things would get worse. Uh, I'm not sure that you saw the Ukraine-Russia thing coming at the time, but that has probably exacerbated it. Um, if China, let's say, follows suit around Hong Kong and Taiwan, how would that worsen things? And what can people do to prepare or companies do? Well, if something like that should happen, um, I think it would be uh, a traumatic uh, event to not only on a political spectrum, but to the US economy. Uh, Taiwan is one of the largest producers of semiconductors, uh, electronics, uh, something like that basically would uh, stop the production of so many things needed in the US. Um, it, it would probably be uh, far, far worse than uh, the Ukrainian uh, Russian war issue going on right now. That would be really something that would, uh, I think, devastate the US economy if those goods couldn't come into the US, um, which we're so dependent on. And do you think businesses are, look, are taking another look at uh, relocating their their supply chains or reassembling them um, to avoid these sorts of dependencies um, on these countries that have these leanings of, of totalitarianism with Russia or, or China? Well, I think that uh, countries basically um, that de de depend on these um, these issues, I, I, th I think it's going to be a, pro a problem. Um, can you just repeat the question again? My computer shorted yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do you think that businesses seeing these things happening with, with Russia and with, with China, um, I know there were a lot of issues at the beginning of the pandemic with, with right. getting masks and stuff like that. And, and um, I, I think Trump talked to this about our dependency on, on foreign nations that we don't make things here anymore. So do you think that companies are now looking at changing up their supply chains um, now that we know that China may, might be proven unreliable and it also could use supply chains as a weapon politically? Okay, great question. The reality is a lot of people, uh, even in the last year or two, especially you have to remember with the 301, also known as the Trump tariffs, wanted to leave China, uh, but they couldn't. And some of the reasons why they couldn't is it's not so easy to duplicate dyes, tools, molds in other countries 
such as Vietnam, India. So they didn't really have the ability to get out of China. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they could have had some, if you're making wearing apparel, have it made in other countries. But for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of these large multinational conglomerates have filled up the factories with their orders already. So if you're a mid-sized small importer trying to get out of China and go to Vietnam, India, or another country, it's not so easy to do. Um, so that's really a, a problem. Obviously, a lot of companies wanted to get out of China, but they just couldn't get out of China. Right. And um, you also spoke about this on your appearance with Cavuto, but these, these billion-dollar companies were increasingly seeing small businesses uh, destroyed uh, and middle-sized businesses during the pandemic. Um, what happens to the supply chain if these middle market and smaller market companies can't survive? Well, what happens to the supply chain is that um, the, the large multinational importers uh, will get rid of a lot of their competition. Uh, and then over time, the market would readjust to get more stabilized. But by that time, these small mom and pops and mid-sized market companies are out of the system. So really, uh, it's kind of like you see the big companies now that run so many industries. It's going to basically come down to that for many importers that are small and medium size. So uh, I think now is a very um, pivotal point in trade. The large multinationals have secured long-term contracts uh, with the steamship lines for many years. They've taken on more capacity from the steamship lines. And the other companies now have lower, uh, when I mean other companies, the small importers and medium-sized importers that had capacity last year, most of that was cut down and their rates were increased. So, you know, they're, they're really in a, uh, a difficult position to compete. The thing is that a large multinational has the cash and the ability to get through these type of cycles where uh, the others don't have that ability. And that's where you see them starting to bleed out. Right. And I, I'm thinking about something like, let's say, building a home and, and you need lumber. Um, a Home Depot is probably not going to be as affected to purchase that lumber in bulk as a, maybe a, a smaller mom and pop shop. So is there anything that these companies can do to stay ahead of this of this potential pain? Um, or, or is there anything that consumers can do to, to stay ahead of it uh, with, with food shortages on the shelves? Like what, what can be done for the average person, the average company? Well, I think the uh, companies that have niches or concentrate in something specialized that, you know, the other larger companies uh, don't is, a, is something they have to look at. But if you're selling a shirt with no label, no brand, that's the same as some other shirt, you're in trouble. Uh, so I think you really have to be uh, branded. You have to offer something that's niche uh, and something that drives people uh, to your company. You cannot just be one of the masses because... Uh, it's just not going to be a long-term survivability solution because all you're going to do with when you're a mass company, in my opinion, is just gouge and fight everyone on price. And at the end of the day, you just erode your margin and you go out of business. So you really have to reinvent yourself. Are you also seeing a relationship between labor force, let's say, people that are unwilling to work and, and that getting back to normal um, and goods being produced to, to move? Or is it really that we're producing the goods and there's all these ships outside the ports and they just can't get in the ports to, to get the stuff off? Uh, like, a, lot of, a, lot of, a, a lot of it uh, with the ports is not so much people uh, didn't want to work per se at the ports. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do more with um, equipment shortages 
and the automation and efficiencies of the ports themselves. Uh, you know, countries of our stature in trade, uh, Singapore, for the sake of it, for the sake of this example, um, do not have uh, the same type of uh, delays and processes that we have uh, in the U.S. And a lot of that's because they became highly automated. And one of the reasons uh, why we're not as automated is because we have uh, a lot of long time unions, uh, longshoremen unions uh, in the US that basically have to agree to a lot of things. And if they don't agree, you can't uh, become as efficient. Um, they, they feel and they have their stance points. The terminals have their standpoints. The carriers have their standpoints and basically have, everyone has a vested interest in what they wanna accomplish. And obviously uh, that makes it less fluid. Uh, as we speak, there's a negotiation going on right now in the port of uh, the West Coast ports for the International Longshoremen and Warehouse Union, where uh, they're renegotiating their contract, which ends at, I believe, um, the end of June. So if that were to have a strike or that were to have an issue, obviously uh, it could cause a, a, a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. So I think basically, um, I don't think there's going to be a strike. Uh, one of the reasons why I don't think there's going to be a strike is I think the administration uh, told both sides they better resolve the issue. Uh, I don't think the issue is resolved to after the summertime, but yet while the negotiations are going on, I don't believe there's going to be a strike or a disruption because that would be uh, very catastrophic for the mere fact that summertime is the busiest time of importing goods into the United States. Okay. Mm -hmm. So those goods are basically the back to school goods and the holiday goods. And those are also the biggest spending times in the, the US. So not having goods to buy or delayed or expiring at the port because they're you know, no longer good after the holiday season. What are you gonna do? Have your uh, holiday Christmas goods uh, for thanks, I mean, rather for Valentine's Day. So it, it's really uh, a quagmire. So I don't think there's gonna be a strike coming about. Okay. And, you know, I'm no, I'm no fan of Trump or Biden, but a lot of people like to place blame um, for their, for, for the issues going on. Do you think uh, this has anything to do with who's in office or the politics of the time, or is it, is it just, is it in their power to resolve? I think there is some power, even though uh, they could put pressures in, in certain ways. One good example is uh, right now, the Federal Maritime Commission, which oversees the carriers and so forth, uh, you know, they don't have as strong enforcement uh, as, at least in my opinion, they should. Well, now there's the Ocean Shipping Reform Act that has been written and approved in the House that would give the FMC uh, more enforcement, more bite to make sure that these steamship lines are conducting themselves with fair trade practices. So that's extremely important. Uh, and for something like that to have the backing of the administration, I think that's extremely important uh, because that will limit a lot of the things that have been going on the past year that shouldn't be. And mind you, all the major steamship lines that bring goods to the United States throughout the world, okay, mm -hmm. there's not one, not one that is American-owned. Wow. Vietnam, which is basically a third world country, most recently I read, was looking to form their own steamship line because of all the uncertainty in logistics and putting a special couple of hundred what, rather $2.5 billion, I read, into uh, forming a national carrier. They even saw the, the handwriting on the wall that they got to be less in 
dependent on foreign carriers. So, you know, this is a concern, but it's a situation, it is what it is right now, and it will take many, 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 many years to even get to a, a place like that, which I don't think we're ever going to get to anyway. So why is America kind of so behind on this when, you know, we have, you're, like you're saying, third world countries, you know, seeing this coming? Well, the reason is a lot of it to do with politics, unions, pricing, uh, the cost of labor, the cost to build these ships. You know, you, getting something done to you is extremely uh, expensive. And up until recently, you know, the last 20 years, most steamship lines really weren't making a large profit. 2016, you had Hanjin Lines of Korea file bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Then you had all the steamship lines form basically three major alliances where they share and pool their resources to compete. So until the last two years, the steamship line industry uh, wasn't very lucrative or desirable to be in. Uh, Last year, collaboratively, the steamship lines made $200 billion. Okay. This year, they're set to make close to $300 billion. So the tides have certainly changed in their favor. And what are they doing with that money? Well, they're buying airlines. They're buying logistics companies, they're Mm -hmm. buying warehouses, they're buying a lot of worldwide and U.S. assets so that these now conglomerates aren't just going to be steamship lines uh, and ocean carriers. They're going to be total transportation carriers in every sector, air, ocean, truck. And with that, they're going to tell importers that unless you use a good majority of all our services or what we want you to use of our services, you're not going to have the capacity. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have the best rates. And it's going to be like cable. If you don't use all their services, one of them is going to be higher than if it was not, you know, collaboratively uh, using all their services, phone, TV, that internet, that sort of thing. So the same thing is happening in the logistics industry. Okay. And as far as policies or regulations go, um, a lot of people you know, point to the to the Jones Act and say this is increasing costs. Are there any, you know, policies or regulations that would would help your business and, and shipping in general alleviate some of these pressures? Like, are there any overbearing regulations that you might think of? I think I think some of the regulations, especially in California, uh, that create a lot of issues with the clean truck fees. You had to have certain. Uh, trucks that weren't many years old, that created some issues, especially for the smaller companies that couldn't afford to upgrade. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't protect the environment, but on the other hand, we shouldn't take, you know, things to extreme that, you know, if you have an ant crossing a, across the road, I mean, facetious, that you, know, you can't drive across the road for certain hours. Uh, you know, yeah. we have to put things in perspective. Uh, other countries, for the sake of discussion, um, if you have a container coming in to their port, They have like a one-to-one ratio where you offload the container and a truck would then distribute it to a warehouse, a one-to-one ratio. Because of our restrictions with overweight and road limitations and so many other things, you know, our our ratio is like you need sometimes 1.5 trucks to a container. So you need that many more trucks in the system, uh, which creates obviously um, more inefficiencies and so forth. And I think sometimes, you know, we have to put pauses on some of the regulations, especially during the most trying times when we have such critical issues and maybe say, you know what, uh, maybe a driver could drive an extra 30 minutes a day or 25 minutes a day. Or maybe that container, you know what, just for this period 
could be an extra thousand or 2000 pounds heavy, you know, not to endanger anyone, obviously, on the roads, but just to help the system a little bit, because if you take a, you know, a 5% um, uh, adjustment, that could relate to how many more millions of miles and efficiencies and movement of, of goods. That's how I view it. Right. And what do you think will will be the, the ripple effects um, of this continuing, um, especially if the conflicts abroad uh, are continuing and, and there's a, a, the demand on goods? How do you see that affecting the economy and, and shipping? Well, I see it basically we're going to have a rough summer, uh, especially with the lockdowns in Asia, um, specifically China. Uh, I said you know, China's a port of uh, black swans. You never know what's going to happen uh, and when. Some talent, so yeah. Even when you, yeah. So even when you think things are getting better, uh, there could be something, another uh, COVID lockdown or whatever it may be. So you really don't know what's uh, coming. So I see that, that I think we're going to have a heavy season for the summer because it is the peak season anyway. Now you have on top of that, you know, the opening of these, uh, factories that are going to be shipping more and so forth, and there'll be a rush uh, getting goods in. And then I think after that, it may start to uh, dissipate a bit um, for a few reasons, the economy uh, in general, um, and, uh, you know, just the time of the year, traditionally, uh, January, uh, December are the slow times of shipping. So I think we're going to see maybe uh, a small adjustment um, with what's going on. Yeah. And as far as the, the consumer goes. Um, I'm curious what you what you might make of consumer behavior if they worry about shortages and things like baby formula um, or other goods, because I still I was walking around uh, BJ's wholesale yesterday and they make an announcement. We may not have uh, some of these goods and, uh, you know, but you know, we're happy to help if, if you have a question, find us. So yeah, <laughs> in grocery stores, they have the, the things on their on their freezers. We're missing a lot of items and it's like completely empty. Right. So what do you think consumer behavior might be? Because um, will, will people hoard or adjust? I think, I think consumer behavior will always be in, with certain products that they're going to uh, basically over, buy oversupplies of them, whether it be formula, whether it be essential toilet paper, paper towels, those type of things. And I think for the, you know, the goods, for the sake of discussion, like back to school goods, if you're going to buy, you know, your kids, uh, pants and shirts, you know what? I think you can go down a level uh, for the price points. Uh, maybe not get a, a name brand, but more generic uh, because you're gonna wanna have, you know, the same amount of shirts that you ordinarily would buy um, rather than having three, you know, name brand shirts. You're, you're gonna wanna have, you know, three or four non-name name brand shirts and then maybe buy something else with that. But consumers are definitely gonna be a little more cost conscious. I think they have to be. I mean, what's going on? I mean, between all these price increases, uh, the checks only could go so far. And then I guess after your check runs out, that's when you start uh, piling up the credit cards, right? Mm -hmm. And do you think that um, some of the, once this kind of clog gets resolved, that we might see some prices lower? Um, how, how do you see that playing out? I don't see that playing out too, uh, too well because a lot of the companies, um, especially the mid-market and smaller ones, uh, last year, they didn't raise the prices as much as they should have. Right. Uh, they were basically absorbing a lot of the costs 
with the anticipation that 2022 would be a better year. They wouldn't have these exorbitant freight costs uh, and they basically uh, have a reset. Well, they can't do that again this year because if you have marginal and no profits or losing money last year and you're gonna do it again this year, all of a sudden now you have a third eye on you. And who's that third eye? The lending community. And what the lending community says is, hey, you know what? You're really not making money. All you're doing is trading dollars in and out, uh, essentially. And we're not going to give you over advances and larger drawdowns, your business and working capital, just to pay these exorbitant freight rates uh, to get goods into the U.S., which, by the way, may get delayed or may have an issue with the supply chain and may get canceled or have a markdown from your customer. So therefore, you're putting us in a riskier position. And that's where you start seeing um, a, a cash uh, flow suffocation of a lot of companies that I think then uh, will start going out of business because when things slow up, they're not going to have those cash flow spins as quick as they used to. And you know what? You can have large expenses coming up without the cash to pay for them. So that's really uh, an issue. And even as we speak, even with delays in China, these companies still have to pay their employees. They still have their fixed operating costs and they don't have revenue coming in, right? Because the goods aren't really coming in as quickly as it should. So these are all cash strains. And I think you're going to see payables, receivables stretched out, and there's going to be everyone wanting to basically hoard cash as inventory because they're not so sure also if their lenders are going to keep on supporting them. A lot of instances, you don't know, right? So what do you do when you don't know? You make sure you have your reserves, just kind of like the consumers are doing now. They're building up their uh, banking uh, reserves. And I read that uh, most recently, uh, the cash in um, the banking system now is at like an all-time high because people want to have cash on hand. That makes sense. Yeah, and the interest rates are rising. And, and to your point, I think you're, you're very correct, is that we saw Walmart, Target, Costco, BJ's, um, Ross, like all these retailers are just getting killed in, in the market because they didn't, uh, it seems like they ate more costs than, than, uh, than they sold, I guess. And so those can, I don't yeah. think those costs have yet been passed on to consumers who are reaching back and spending on credit because the STEMI check stopped um, and the unemployment benefits. Uh, and uh, that leads me to my, to my uh, one of my last questions is, is how much as, as, you're, as you're running Alba wheels up, are you paying attention to let's say monetary policy with, with interest rates and how does that affect your business? Well, that affects our business dramatically because Basically, as a freight forward or custom house broker, we are extending credit to the majority of our clients so that basically um, goods pre-COVID for a container are now five times more expensive. So when I give credit for a container, it was the equivalent of giving five containers uh, pre-COVID, but I'm not making those same type of margins, meaning I'm not making five times the profit. Uh, maybe I'm making more profit, but not five times the profit. So our issue is as these interest rates go up and case going to be hoarded, uh, we're going to see um, a slowdown of payables to our company uh, from our clients. And uh, that could really, um, given our volumes, uh, cause an issue because, you know, even though we're a fairly large company, uh, you only have so much cash, right? And even if you do have the cash uh, to give credit, you don't want to give it to clients that may be at risk uh, so that will be have the ability to pay you. So I think this is 
probably the, the most major issue as far as being a logistics company mm-hmm. is putting um, proper credit terms and disciplines in place. Uh, because on the other hand, if you put a client on COD, the reality is they don't not going to have the money to pay for goods that they didn't even deliver to their warehouse to sell to their customer, right? So uh, it's even worse in the situation. So you really have to uh, be very temperamental on how you handle that. I would say that's probably my biggest concern, uh, especially going towards the end of the year, is credit facilities and cash flow planning and uh, how to help our clients manage themselves better yep that's that's super interesting i, I was uh I'm, fo- I'm following that stuff very closely with the interest rates it's affecting in stock market housing etc um so i know we're, we're running on time so i just want to uh see if you have any place where people can follow you or if you have a newsletter where can people kind of stay in contact with you and, and get updates on this industry because i think you have a really great perspective so, i would say the uh the best place to get news in regards to what's going on is either our website albawheelsup.com or my linkedin uh, which i do some posts uh, periodically on essential uh, items and that would be uh, salvatore style uh, and linkedin so either either the two you basically could uh, see what we're putting out there and how we could help and if you're an importer uh, you should really talk to us because we're not going to solve all your problems but we're probably going to solve most of them better than anyone else out there so I think you should at least uh, give an opportunity to see and do a compare on that. Mm-hmm. No Twitter. <laughs> That's it. No Twitter yet. <laughs> no Twitter yet. I, I don't recommend it. It's a, it's a black hole. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Sal Styles, thank you for joining Opposing Points. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.